Hi, I'm Nate Chinen, editorial director at WBGO and co-host of Jazz United, a podcast from WBGO Studios. Join us for season two of Jazz United wherever you get your podcasts or at WBGO.org. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to The Checkout. It's a podcast, and you hopefully know that already. You can subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. All of our shows hosted on our homepage at checkoutjazz.org, wbgo.org. And I'm your host, Simon Rentner. Not all tribute albums should be treated equally. The newest recording by, I guess you could call her a vocalist, Melanie Charles, but she's so much more. Y'all don't really care about black women. Is radically reimagining jazz classics for a psychedelic dance floor. She samples classics from Dinah Washington, Sarah Vaughn, Merlina Shaw, Betty Carter, many others, and explodes them into modern day trap beats, deep house grooves, and I don't know, whatever kind of, I hate talking, trying to describe music. Whatever you hear is probably true too. The listening experience I find is so compelling. I'm always left on the cliff. What is gonna happen next, Melanie Charles? Thank you, Melanie, for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Simon. I have goosebumps. That introduction was so beautiful. I can tell you actually listened to the music. I have goosebumps everywhere. Thank you, Simon. There's so much I want to talk to you about, and you're, I'm sure you have so many stories to tell, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't even know where to get started because the, your last album before it too, uh, The Girl with the Green Shoes, is also super dope. Features you as an original songwriter primarily, and there's a little bit of that on this record too. But uh, the, the woman at Verve, or the CEO, I can't remember her name, she described you a renaissance artist, a singer, a keyboardist. I know you play the flute, but you also produce. You're an engineer. Obviously, you're a songwriter. Uh, I know you're a dope-ass DJ. I mean, that, that's got to be in there, too. Um, what else is there? Basketball? I know you play some hoops. Yes, I do play basketball. This is I'm actually wearing my jazz basketball t-shirt. My number is number eight. I don't know if you can see it in the back. Yes. So and I, yeah. I, I had to point out the irony because I'm wearing my Jay Dilla shirt and there's some, some nice irony there. I love it. Are you a Renaissance artist? Do you think of yourself that way? I would just rather just call you a capital C creative. How about that? Mm. And, and I like and, that. And where, where does the chronology start in that? journey for you? I don't really think it is my place, first of all, to consider myself a renaissance or, or any of those terms. I guess that is for whoever is experiencing what I do to, to say what they see. Um, but, you know, I was very blessed to be supported by, I always, every time I, I talk to people, I always have to mention my mom. 
because my mom um, is a Haitian immigrant. She came to this country. Um, back when she was in Haiti, she said she would listen to jazz stations and they'd be playing Frank Sinatra and Nat King Cole. She really wasn't a fan of Haitian like compound music and stuff. She, she preferred black American music. And so when she came to this country and, you know, was pregnant with me, she, her dream was that her daughter is a musician. And so she really nurtured that. Apparently I was humming all the time, even before I could speak. And she took me to the church organist because, you know, in churches, usually the church organist is also the one that helps kids learn how to use their voice and stuff. And she took me to her so I can start getting vocal lessons. And she said, well, her voice is a little, she's a little young. So why don't we start on piano? And that's when the journey began of just being a, a all around creative and like using whatever tools I had to, to, um, to make art. junior high school, I was in band and by the time it was time to choose our instruments, I was doing some kind of talent show competition and then they stuck me with the flute. I was mad. I wanted trumpet, but I got the flute. I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> because I was late, you know, my mom did her research and found me a flute teacher. So I was always, she always just like helps me, always provided support for me in whatever I wanted to do. I'm also, you didn't, one of the things you didn't list, I was a dancer. I studied ballet, tap, modern dance, African dance. I did musical theater. I've done off-Broadway productions. I played Abner Louimer's wife in an off-Broadway production. Like I, I, it's just all, all of the above, you know, I, I've been really lucky and really supported. Incredible journey. And I, so I presume you probably, once DJing became super hip and popular and very pragmatic, quite frankly, as an artist, you're like, I got to get on this, this mixing stuff so I can, well, so I can be booked as a DJ too, right? Well, I actually do not consider myself a DJ as of yet. Although when people see my setup, they're like, oh, she's DJing and singing. Not necessarily. So, you know, I had bands like six piece, seven piece bands. I went to the new school and I was obsessed with RH Factor at the time. Check it out with my band boy, Right. Who else? Who who wasn't obsessed with RH Factor? Roy Hargrove. Come on now. R.I.P. Roy Hargrove. I have goosebumps again just thinking of him. And you must have met him like back in the day, like when he was hanging out at the Roy? jazz gallery. I mean, were you were you there in early days? The jazz gallery days, I didn't hang out there as much, but. Um, Smalls, by the time I was on hanging on the jazz scene, it was more of like the Smalls hang. And Roy would pull up like every night and it'd be a masterclass. And actually, I'll never forget the last time I spoke to Roy before he passed, I sang and he told me that I sounded really good and that I should learn the theme song to Mahogany. Do you know that song? So I told myself when I can find a really beautiful way to reinterpret that song, I will do it and dedicate it to Roy. Oh, wow. Right? So tell me, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and Roy Har hearing Roy Hargrove play the trumpet must have made you think maybe choosing the flute was a good choice. Right, right. I, I mean, think that was safe. I <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like... He got it, he got it. <laughs> 
It's like, <laughs> you got that. <laughs> But I didn't ask you a question about the DJing thing. So, you know, like right. I said, I had a seven piece band, you know, full horn section, guitar, all of that. But after a while, I started feeling like the sound that I wanted to create, I wasn't achieving that with the band. And um, after I graduated the new school, I started, I developed a really close relationship with a gentleman by the name of Daniel Boshin, who had a cassette tape um, label called Dirty Tapes. And I found that all the cats were making their beats on SP. And most of the tracks that they were using were jazz records that they were chopping up. And that was the gateway drug to what I do now. Turn back while there's time. Can't you see the danger sign? Soft shoulder. jazz tune chopped up and you're just like what wait you can do that yeah I was like wow there's a way to combine my love of jazz and also make a sound that people were bumping to in the basement you know what I mean in somebody's house you know house parties like it was a way for me to fuse that culture um they were sampling monk and 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 miles and just all all the cats and it was always exciting to discover what sample it was you know and how hidden they could make the sample um so that was the beginning of the the whole make jazz true again idea never cared much for moon well it sounds like you saw the light i'm gonna hear some but we're gonna hear some bombs Beginning to see the light, you dropping right here. <laughs> Shout out to Ella Fitzgerald. I never care much for moonlit skies. I never wink back at fireflies. But now that the stars are in your 
I mean, when I heard this, and I, this is the last track on the record, but this was the one that just got me like, I like leapt out of my seat. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe a jazz artist did that. <laughs> so, sorry, I got to turn down my enthusiasm. But, <laughs> Lord have mercy, represent. I'm a transplant. We're all transplants in New York City, except for you. Born and raised in Brooklyn. Where in Brooklyn? In Bushwick, actually. Bushwick was much different than it is right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. 1989, like, was a different B Bushwick. And then you mm -hmm. get this opportunity to go to LaGuardia. I was lucky that when I was studying at LaGuardia, first of all, I was a flute major at LaGuardia, but at the time they really encouraged all types of cre creativity. So I was also in this um, ensemble called New Music Singers, where we had to like write music, write a song, arrange a song every week. That was our assignment. Um, and then I was always in the Every year they would put on a musical. One year it was Hair and I had a lead in Hair, the musical where I sang, I danced, and I also played the flute on stage. You know, another Aquarius, year we- Aquarius, Aquarius. Come on, Simon, what you know about that? <laughs> I, was, I was in Hair. Really? I have, I have stories about being in Hair, but I can't repeat them on this podcast. A okay, little too that's explicit. for another convo. That's another talk. Okay, right. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that scene, I love it. Yeah, so I was I was blessed to be in that. And then also, you know, when we did West Side Story one year, I was in the pit orchestra and I was playing flute. Um, but then I was also studying at the Harlem School of the Arts. I was doing, I was in a opera, like a classical choir ensemble. I was doing productions there. And, you know, I really didn't have a like a childhood, a playful childhood. Like for me, it was always off to another rehearsal. But and I just I just loved it. Um, and I was just always encouraged to just follow my creativity. I really didn't have too many naysayers um, in terms of like um, uh, mentors and teachers. Everyone just like really encouraged me to do my thing. Um, and it came a time when I was at LaGuardia when it was time to audition for college where I had to decide which direction I wanted to go to. And for a second, I thought I was gonna be an opera singer because I, oh, wow. I was singing the Queen of the Night aria to, to make money. I was like going around in competitions and I would always win singing that song because no one sings that song. And, um, but a few things happen. I'm not going to get into it, but. I'm so glad you're not singing opera. Can I just say that? <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not singing opera either, but I do, I am grateful to the training because that, that rigorous training that I had is still in me so that I can really, I really have confidence with my voice. Like I, I don't have vocal issues, knock on wood, you know, any note that I hear I can produce. Um, and I really, um, I think that's due to my classical training. But if I continued longer, it would have made my voice super rigid and, and I'm just glad that I went another direction. So I wasn't, 
I listen to jazz. I love jazz. My brother is, like I said, is an incredible saxophone player, incredible improviser. He can hear anything and just play it. But I wasn't really singing that much jazz when I was in high school. It was more the whole flute thing, songwriting thing. Um, but I auditioned for the new school and I got in. And that was the beginning of me seriously falling in love with Black American music. Perdido, I look for my heart. It's Perdido. I lost it way down in Torito. While, while chancing a dance. I think you can um, really hear this opera training, you know, on, on, on a tune, for instance, like Perdido, your, your second song, which mm. I almost mm. feel like you cloned Dinah Washington. Did you get her DNA? Did you clone her? Because you got, you got that <laughs> Dinah thing. And, and that's like a very like specific sound. It's so funny. Everyone says that to me about Dinah and that's like the hugest honor and it means so much to me. But to be honest with you, I I'd never really listened to Dinah like as much as I listened to, let's say, Sarah or Ella or or Nancy, for example. Um, she, she just wasn't one that I was listening to on repeat. I never really tried to imitate her voice, but I think that we have similar backgrounds at, at, in terms of who we are as people. When I was developing this project, I didn't only listen to the music. I tried to find interviews and bio autobiographies, biographies, films. I tried to like tap into their essence. And I found that that Dinah was super sassy, like super like a hood chick, like, you know what I mean? Like she presented very refined and classy, but when she had to tell you off, she will do that with the quickness. And I think that being a Brooklyn girl, that element is probably what people hear when they say, wow, you sound like Dinah. I think it's more of that attitude. Okay, the big question, the big question that exploded my brain, mm -hmm. how in the God's name, did you get all of these clearances? <laughs> I'm just gonna play Dinah Washington for a minute and then I'll come in. So uh, Dahlia over at Verve Records, um, I think the story is that her, one of her um, then um, interns, I think he is actually officially working at the label now, he was playing the girl with the green shoes in the office. But I think when she finally heard that, she was like, ah, I think that this girl can do, cause you know, Verb Records for years have been doing the Verb Remix series. And you know, they get different DJs to remix these albums. And I think, so apparently she heard what I did with How Glad I Am by Nancy Wilson. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. I want you to basically do that same thing with songs from our catalog. So that I could 
it was almost like a commission. They commissioned me to produce this quote unquote remix project. But Mad of course, me being me, Mad Lib style, exactly. But of course, me being me, they sort of are ending up being more reimaginings than remixes. The one that will set the dance floor on fire, Woman of the Ghetto, here reimagined by Melanie Charles. In the ghetto, I was born and raised in the ghetto. I am a woman of the ghetto. Listen to me, legislators. How do you raise the ghetto? Is so much broader than what than we're thinking, like gunshots and the projects. You know, like we all have, all meaning people of color, moved in and out of spaces of not getting the best resources. The lyrics really talk about the disparity between resources and how children from certain neighborhoods don't get access to this, don't get access to that. My mom made special arrangements for me to go to school outside of my neighborhood so that I can have band and I can have all these things. If I went to school, you know, across the street from where I live, it, I wouldn't have access to the same things. Um, and, you know, I, I made a visual um, a collaboration with the director, her name is Annika, and that was something that we tried to translate visually is that don't think that if you're from the hood if you're from the ghetto that you only look one way we present in so many ways we're not a monolith so yeah man and hopefully i get to talk to um marlena shaw one day um she's the only woman on the album that's still living and i would love to get her blessing there was an interview that i discovered of her talk the, the interviewer asked her how do you feel about people sampling you like he was trying to be shady though he was like do you like that? Like, how do you feel? And she was like, I love it. You know, she was like, are you familiar with this interview? Sarah? I'm not. No, I'm not. No. It's no, really not. interesting. Yeah. She, she, she is so hip and so progressive that she, she, and she articulated that she enjoyed hearing how people um, work her, her sound. One song that I do think on the album that summarizes your artistry, at least for me, is uh, Betty Carter's Jazz Ain't Nothing But Soul. And obviously that title has a whole different kind of meaning now than when yes. Betty Carter sang it in 1960. Yes. I'm sure that was part of the intention. Yeah. I didn't know about that song till, la till this year, till I started working on this project because actually around the same time I was with Jazz and Lincoln Center, went to Marcellus Orchestra. They invited me in and they were doing a tribute to Betty Abbey 
and Nina and they stuck me with Betty and I was just so overwhelmed because Betty's her approach to the music and the tunes that she chooses to sing are really advanced and as I was digging through her catalog so because Betty is, is definitely the vocalist for it's like you need to be advanced to get into Betty I think like I feel like Sarah Ella they're very palatable like you can get into that really easily but Betty is advanced and so for me I got into her later and when I found out that she sings a song called Jazz Ain't Nothing But Soul it blew my mind because that is so in alignment with my Make Jazz Chill Again concept but something that I've been thinking about lately is how everyone's trying to change the name Jazz to BAM and what I you know our friend Nicholas and he's a huge champion that yes black American music but now my argument is if Betty Carter called it jazz I'm gonna call it jazz <laughs> that's all I have to say Okay, so have you listened to the original What a Difference a Day Made? Of course. Well, wait, you mean, wait, you mean before Dinah original? Yeah, before Dinah original. No, who's the original? Is it an instrumental? No, it's a Cuban song. A Mexican songwriter from 1934. Originally, uh, that originally means when I return to your side. <laughs> You're blowing my mind right now. What? So first performed by Pedro via y su orquesta in 1934 from a 78. Oof. Yeah, we'll hear a little bit of that. Oh, I wish I knew about that before I made this remix. <laughs> I A shout out to another powerful woman you were celebrating you didn't even know, Maria Grever. Mexican songwriter penned that in 1934. Wow. 
Thank you, Simon. Now I have so much homework to do because now I want to know who translated it in English. Now it sounds like the way Dinah sang it, I think she listened to this record. What a difference a day made. Because a lot of the melodic, she stuck close to what they did in this. I have so many, so much research to do now. Yeah, well, definitely because Diana's version came out in 1959, and I think it hadn't really been covered since then, um, from from at least my research. So this was 1934, decades later. Diana does it, crushes it. Diana Washington won a Grammy Award in 1959 for Best Rhythm and Blues Performance with this song. Oh, wow. Wow. They put that as Rhythm and Blues. Exactly. Thank you for hipping me to that. My lonely nights are through deep. that say a Betty Carter experienced or, you know, an Ella Fitzgerald, a Dinah Washington, Sarah mm -hmm. Vaughn, go down the list. Um, mm -hmm. You are bringing attention to this history. Y'all don't mm -hmm. really care about black women. Them that's God shall get. There's been so many versions obviously made of this mm -hmm. Billie Holiday classic. Uh, originally mm -hmm. written in 1939, mm -hmm. uh, first first released in 1941, and mm -hmm. in Billie Holiday's autobiography, Lady Sings the mm -hmm. Blues, she has said that this song comes from an argument with her with mother her mom. about mm -hmm. money, which is, yeah. uh, that seems yeah. like the, the timeless agitation. God Bless a Child was one of those songs that I learned from a really young age. When I would do talent shows, whatever, like that was my go-to song. I even was able to accompany myself while I was singing it. So that song just represented 
paving your own way. I'm someone, I just finished reading um, the autobiography of Billie Holiday um, last week, actually. And I was very surprised at how close Billie was to her mom, even though she had a rough childhood here and there, but they basically had a very tight relationship. And that's the same thing with my mom. She basically coached me through learning how to think God bless a child when I was a little girl. And so I wanted to, of course, still tell the story of the rich keep getting richer, the poor keep getting poorer. But I thought to myself, you know, I want to approach this with a prince type of feeling. relations give cross the bread and such help yourself but don't What kind of sacrifices do you have to make to reach your people, Melanie Charles? What type of sacrifices do I have to make just Ooh. to hope to reach my people? Listen. So the Pay Black Women interlude is an excerpt from a short film that I produced called Love Letter to Jazz Girls. And it is sort of like an art verite film where it's mostly like documentary style, but like stylized. And it stars um, four friends of mine, women, who are incredible creatives in their own right. You know, we were being approached by a few different publications. It was Black History Month and they were asking us to do sets for free. And we were like, well, how is it Black History Month? And y'all don't want to pay us. It, it doesn't add up. You want us to give you free content and you want us to give you 
good content and it was a lockdown so you want us to you want it to be of a visual quality and we have to do it ourselves it doesn't really add up but oftentimes artists who are trying to have a goal and they're trying to reach some somewhere we take the l and we do do these services for free we do provide content for little to no money because we want to reach our people and something that the point where we reach at the end of the conversation is that eventually collectively we all have to simply say this is my rate period pay me and that's it collectively take that stance i truly believe that we can start seeing some changes but if like one person's like oh sure whatever i'll do it for nothing and you just mess it up for everybody we can't be really be moving forward um it feels so like a tremendous like, burden also just as an artist to be negotiating your own fees for anything it's it always just seems like a problem it really does suck and that's why y'all don't really care about black women that title felt so appropriate because we all have seen that nina simone interview where she says she had to bring a shotgun for the promoter to pay her her money and that's ridiculous that's freaking nina simone so this is an age-old issue it, it it not much has changed the same things that abby and nina and sarah ha have been lamenting about whether in interviews or just through their voices when they're singing their songs it's the same kind of issues that that i'm going through and that my peers are going through um and so it's time to like really have real conversation real pointed conversation and not just in a me too stance you know what I mean? Like the whole spectrum of what it means to really, to treat us fairly. Melanie Charles, thank you so much for spending some time with us and you know, doing this thing. It was uh, quite a quite a delight just to get to know you. And I have to say, you are channeling a little Nina Simone on the beat all Africa, if I may say so myself. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe maybe we should go out with that. Thank you so much, Melanie. It was such such a fun time. It was really fun. It went by too quick. My mom's gonna be so happy. I told you, my mom is obsessed with WBG. Oh, this, this she's been waiting for this day to come. <laughs> like <laughs> she's gonna like flip. So thank you for believing in Ian for for doing this. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations to Melanie Charles on her new recording. Y'all don't really care about black women. All Africa, the beat, what you just heard. And also, definitely make sure to check out the album before that, The Girl with the Green Shoes. And for those in the New York City metropolitan area, Melanie Charles will be celebrating her album release party for Y'all Don't Really Care About Black Women at Public Records in Brooklyn. I'll be there. That's Wednesday, November 10th. And if you like this podcast, definitely subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a review while you're at it. Five stars, that would be cool. We also have a social media Twitter handle, at Checkout Jazz. Find us on Facebook, too. And hit me up, Simon Rentner, on Instagram. The Checkout is a production of WBGO Studios.
I'm Simon Rantner. Thanks for checking us out. This has been a WBGO Studios production. To learn more about WBGO Studios' award-winning podcasts, special concerts, live streams, and more, visit wbgo.org studios.